1: Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Pick up the pieces of your life. Put them back together with the words you write. All the beauty and peace and the magic that you'll start to find. When you write your story, you've got the words inside. Don't you think it's time let them out and write them down, uncover what it's all about, and write your, write your story, write your, write your story.
0: Hi there, writers. This is Allie here. I have a special bonus episode for you today. I have been talking about on Instagram how I've been reading Prince Harry's memoir called Spare. And... I shared a couple of thoughts I have about the memoir on Instagram and I asked there if anyone would be interested in me talking in more depth about this particular book here on the Write Your Story podcast and the answer was an overwhelming yes. So I decided to record a special bonus episode for you where I'm going to talk about what I think about this book and in particular, I want to talk about what I think about this book from a publishing industry perspective and from a write your story perspective. So I know there's been like a whole fray about do we believe Megan and Harry? Are they playing the victim? Is what the press has written about Harry really true? All of that stuff. And that's not the conversation that I want to have today. A, I find that conversation mostly uninteresting. And B, it's not my area of expertise. So what I would love to talk about today is how the book is put together. Is it well written? Are there other things that Harry could have done inside of the book that would have made it a more interesting or engaging read or that would have made the arc to the book stronger, all the things that I'm talking about in the first season of this podcast. Okay, before I really dive into today's episode, there are a couple of things I want to say. And the first one is a little bit of a tangent, but not totally a tangent. (laughs) I wanted to make sure that you know, if you haven't heard this already, that I host a workshop called the Write Your Story Workshop. I've done this every year for the last four years or so. And I teach this workshop with my friend, Donald Miller, who's a New York Times bestselling author. We teach the workshop together at his home in Nashville. And the workshop this year is coming up October 20th and 21st. It's a two-day workshop where we help you take a story from your life and turn that story into three to five pages of a written document. So a piece of art that you could share with your family and friends or you could pitch to a publisher if you wanted or to an agent. So we have a lot of people come to this workshop who are aspiring authors, but certainly not everyone, I wouldn't even say 50% of the people in the room are aspiring authors. It's people who have a story that they know they need to share. They aren't sure what's going to become of it, but they want some help getting it out. And and Don and I really spend two days doing a deep dive with you on your story. There's such a huge benefit to being there in the room with us. Of course, you can get a lot of that content here on the podcast, and I'm working on even more resources for you to help support you because I know not every single person can travel to Nashville and not every single person can afford the ticket price of this workshop but there's a huge benefit if this is something that you're really committed to to being there in the room with Don and I and with the other people who are also committed to this same process and to really spending two days unpacking what your story is about and what's the moral of the story and where does the story start and what really hooks the reader what makes this story so interesting You know, how can we position you as the hero of the story? All of those things, all the things that I'm talking about on the podcast. So, we've got our next workshop coming up October 20th and 21st of this year, 2023. Tickets are on sale now at writeyourstory.com. And I think that we are a little bit more than halfway full. And every time that we've done this workshop, the workshop has sold out. So, I have every confidence that we will sell out again this year, but you've got a little bit of time. So, if you need to, check into accommodations here in Nashville or check flights or whatever else, see if it might work for you, check the dates, feel free to do that. But we would love to have you join us for that workshop here in Nashville if you're available. The second thing I want to share going into this conversation is that I have a potentially unhealthy obsession with celebrity memoirs. I've read a lot of them. And to be fair to myself, it's not just celebrity memoirs. I am obsessed with memoirs and I always have been. Since I was really young, I've loved reading real life stories that other people have written. I feel that this is just in my bones. It's in my blood. I kind of came into the world this way. And it's part of what makes me uniquely equipped for this job that I do where I help you unpack your story and get it on the page. But something that you should know about Spare is that Spare is not just any old celebrity memoir. Spare is literally one of the best selling nonfiction books of all time. Spare has literally sold 1.43 million copies in all formats in the United States, Canada, and Britain, including pre-orders. And that's an insane number. That's just in the short amount of time that it's been out. So clearly this book has caught our attention. I know enough about celebrity memoirs, having read them, having worked in the industry for a long time, that it's not just because Prince Harry is who he is that this book has sold so many copies That's obviously a factor that plays a role, but it's also because of how the book is written. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today. Like what makes a memoir like this so gripping, so interesting? What pulls us in? What compels us to spend our hard-earned dollars on a book like this? And I'll just add as a side note, I bought my copy of Spare in the airport a couple of weeks ago when I was going on a trip for my birthday So I'm sure the price was a bit elevated because I was buying it in an airport bookstore. I did buy it in the independent bookstore in the airport in the town that I live in, in Nashville, which is called Parnassus Books in the airport. But the book, I just bought it and then looked at the receipt and it was like $45 or $46 maybe. So we're not just spending, you know, 20 bucks on this book. We're spending almost 50 bucks on this book, at least I am. And that begs the question... Why are so many of us so compelled to read this story? That's what I want to talk about today. In order to talk about the writing of this novel and the structure of it and everything that I want to talk about in today's episode, I have to address the elephant in the room. It's not really an elephant in the room, but the fact that this book was ghostwritten. If ghostwriting is a brand new concept to you, I remember when I was first introduced to the concept of ghostwriting many, many years ago. And as a writer myself, I was absolutely incensed at the idea that someone could publish a book with their name on the cover or their face on the cover and not have actually written it. That just felt so wrong to me on so many levels. And now after more than a decade in the industry and having done a lot of ghostwriting myself, I've come to understand this really differently. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do want to say that the collaboration between an author and a ghostwriter It's really a beautiful collaboration. The author comes to the table with an idea or a story to tell that the public wants to know about or that the public will benefit from. And the writer comes to the table with a skill set called writing, called turning a story into a book that the author may or may not have. And the two of them come together with these two separate sort of assets and create the thing called the book that you read. And... This is not really any different than how the music industry works where you might hear a person perform a song on stage but no one's really saying that they didn't actually write the song and it's no different than a movie that you watch on a screen where it's a piece of entertainment and you consume the content but what you don't know is that there are hundreds or thousands of people behind the scenes who worked to help create that piece of entertainment that of course get like you know you know their name in the credits or whatever but they don't get the sort of Credit that maybe an actor gets when you see their face on the screen for an hour or two hours at a time. So ghostwriting is no different. And one of the things I want to say about Spare in particular is that the man who ghostwrote this book is one of my favorite writers of all time. His name is J.R. Mooringer, and he has written a couple of other books that I really love. First of all, he wrote Open, which is Andre Agassi's memoir maybe one of my favorite memoirs ever written. That book had me sobbing three quarters of the way through it. It is so, so good. If you haven't read that book, please go pick up a copy of it and read it, especially if you're a lover of memoirs like I am. He also wrote Shoe Dog, which is Phil Knight's memoir, also a really great memoir that I recommend. And he also wrote his own memoir, which is called The Tender Bar. And then as soon as I heard that he had written Prince Harry's memoir, I immediately was like, okay, well, I'm gonna have to read this memoir too because he's just so so good at what he does now there are a couple of things I do know about ghostwriting and the ghostwriting dynamic but what I can't ever possibly know is how the conversations between J.R. and Prince Harry went down in the actual writing of this book Jeremy Moringer actually published an article in the New Yorker called Notes from Prince Harry's Ghostwriter he's the author of this article it's an article worth reading you could just quickly google it and I'll also put the link in the show notes It's definitely worth reading. He has a lot of really fascinating things to say from the perspective of someone who has helped other people write about their stories. So you can see why I find this so fascinating. So that article is worth a read, but we just can't possibly know other than what he talks about in this article, how the conversations went down behind the scenes as far as how to structure the book or how to structure a chapter or what details to leave in and what details to take out because The complication with ghostwriting is that you have two people who have an opinion about this piece of art both in the room at the same time trying to make decisions for it. And in my experience, 90% of the time, you come to a place of fairly easy agreement on those things. And then 10% of the time, there can be real throwdowns about you know, one person thinks that going this way is best and the other person thinks going this other way is best. And at the end of the day, the person who gets the final say is, of course the author, the person whose name goes on the cover of the book because this is their book, and they're the ones who get to decide. But other players in the room are, of course, the ghostwriter and also the publisher. The publisher and the publishing team also get to make content decisions about the book as well. So, yes, Harry has to be the final person to sign off on the way the story is told. That's part of the responsibility and obligation of being the author to the book. But you need to know, as you read books, that there are all these other people behind the scenes who play a role in how a book is shaped. And in my mind, that's a really, really good thing. A quick little side note, because you may be wondering now how you can tell if a book has been ghostwritten or not. I'll give you a couple of quick tells that I always use to know whether a book was ghostwritten. First of all, the easiest tell is sometimes on the cover of a book, the ghostwriter will be named It'll say the author's name in fairly big print and then underneath of it, it'll say with and then it'll have a second name and almost always that's the ghostwriter. One example of this is Howard Schultz, who was the CEO of Starbucks for many, many years and his memoir, I can't remember off the top of my head what it was called, but his memoir has his name in really big letters and then with and then the ghostwriter's name underneath of that. So If you're walking through a bookstore and you see that kind of dynamic, you know that either that's a ghostwriter or maybe a co-writer who helped with the writing process. But in Prince Harry's case, you look at the cover of this book, and there is no ghostwriter's name on the front cover. So how do we know that there was a ghostwriter here? Another place that you can look in a book is the acknowledgments. You can flip all the way to the back of the book and see who the author acknowledges, and a lot of times they'll put their ghostwriter in the acknowledgments and they'll thank them profusely for helping them bring this book to life. Rightfully so, because. They couldn't have done it without the ghostwriter. In this case, the way that most of us knew that J.R. Moringer was involved with this book is because of that article he published in The New Yorker. So it's not private news. There's no NDA that was signed. It's public and, you know, commonly known information that Moringer wrote the book with Prince Harry. The last little thing I'll say about ghostwriting, because this is a question I get all of the time, is how is the ghostwriter compensated? In most cases, the ghostwriter is compensated with a flat fee. That fee obviously varies depending on the expected publication success of the book. So in this case, I hope that J.R. Moringer got a really healthy salary for writing the book. I know that every once in a while, it can be negotiated that a ghostwriter would get a percentage of royalty sales, but I think that's a very, very rare setup and more likely than not, the ghostwriter relies on getting a sure-fire paycheck. It's like they get paid a certain amount to write... The book, and then their payment is issued over time based on meeting publication timelines. So let's say, like, they turn in a first draft on X date and they get their first payment then, or maybe they even get a payment when they sign the contract, and then they get another payment when they turn in a second draft and a third draft, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, let's dive into talking about Spare by Prince Harry. The main thing I want to talk about today is the narrative arc of this book. And you'll hear me use all the terms that I've been using in the first season of this podcast to unpack the choices that were made to create this book the way that it exists. Every memoir and every story needs to be built around the transformation of the hero of the story, the transformation of the main character. In this case, because it's Prince Harry's memoir, Harry is the hero of the story. He's the main character of the story. It's his character in the story that moves the plot forward. It's his character who we're following, and it's his character who needs to transform. What I love about what Harry and Moringer did is they built the arc of this story around this idea of Harry being called the spare. If you haven't read the book, and if you're not as familiar with royal life, which I would imagine if you're in the U.S., most of us aren't as familiar with royal life I had heard this phrase vaguely, but I hadn't ever really given it too much thought the idea of an heir and a spare, his brother being the heir to the throne and him being the spare. He introduces the story and talks about what it was like to be given that identity from a very young age. And the narrative arc is set up for Harry to transform from the little boy who's called the spare, the extra heir, you know, in case something happens to the heir, there's a spare to the throne to him evolving into a man who doesn't see himself that way. I think that arc is a really smart arc, and I think for the most part, Prince Harry and Jeremy moore did a really good job of bringing that arc to fruition. If there's one complaint I had about the arc, there's this concept that I always teach writers that I work with that your climactic scene in your story needs to demonstrate to the reader that the hero has transformed. So if the problem that you're facing as the hero through the entire narrative, is that you feel like the spare in the family, you feel like the extra, you feel like you're somehow less than than the family members around you, then there needs to be a really clear picture at the very end of the story, one scene where the reader is able to see that you've overcome that problem, that you've become the kind of person who doesn't see yourself that way anymore. And the final scene in Spare, the climactic scene, not to spoil it for you, but is a scene where his daughter is born. And he talks about Megan scribbling a few notes on a piece of paper about him in that moment and just the ecstasy that he's feeling and the manhood that he's feeling at, at delivering his daughter into the world. And she scribbles this very sweet note about him that he says he reads his poetry. And the last line of this note is definitely not a spare or something close to that which I think is a really beautiful climactic scene on the one hand, and also where I felt like it left me wanting was I really wanted Harry to have this internal transformation where he saw himself as his own man and he saw himself as carving his own path and he saw himself as making his own way and making his own decisions and even departing from the family if that's what he chose to do. I think it's perfectly within his right to do that. But that didn't totally come through clearly to me in the narrative. And I think that if it's true, if that is really how Harry feels, if he really feels that he's overcome that identity that was handed to him at a very young age, that he could have brought that through the narrative even more clearly. Now, maybe for him, that's not totally true. Maybe he hasn't completely resolved that part of him yet, and that's also okay. But that felt like it was lacking for me. And actually... This is a really good lesson for any of us who are writing our stories. I thought about this many times as I was reading the book. I was like, what do I want the hero to do right now? What do I want him to do? I want him to stand up for himself. I want him to just like say, this is what I'm doing. I want him to stop getting so mad at the paparazzi that I kept feeling like I really want him to stop letting the paparazzi steal his power. And I know that that feels really trite for me to say because I've never had to live in such a way where paparazzi were literally chasing me down and threatening my physical safety so I think that there's that element too where maybe he needed to take a stand away from his family as the hero of this story and stand up against the paparazzi and and try to use his platform or power to create a shift or a change on that front so I definitely think that there's space for that But also you could tell that there was like such a seething anger and hatred toward the paparazzi, an understandable seething hatred because these people literally killed his mother. He lost his mother at a young age, has a huge wound from that. And also now are ruining his life and preventing him from doing the things that he wants to do and being the man that he wants to be in the world. So an understandable hatred and anger. And yet... I was really, really wanting him to overcome that hatred and anger by the end of the book, and I don't know that I felt that he totally got there. That's not a judgment on Harry or his decisions or who he is as a person. It's simply speaking to the narrative arc and really wanting that part of the narrative arc to resolve. This feels like a good time to say that I don't envy the position that Prince Harry is in or Meghan Markle or any person who is famous or royalty or whatever— I really, really don't envy the fishbowl that they live in. And I feel that every human being in the world deserves the right to tell their own story in their own words. And I thought a thousand times while I was reading this book, how healing it must have been for Harry to put these words to paper and to really get to tell his own story in his own way. After being lied about and maligned over and over again by the press and after having his story told for him one million times in his life to sit down and be able to tell his own story had to be such a healing experience. And yet, even in that experience, being who he is, he puts this story out into the world and gets (laughs) everybody and their mom, 1.45 million people, having a discussion about the way he told the story. So there is definitely an injustice and an unfairness to it that this is the way he has to live. And yet I think the act of telling your story in your own words can be so deeply empowering that you begin to go, I don't care what anyone else says about it because I've told my story in my way and I'm going to stand on that solid ground. So I hope that it was as healing for Harry to write it as it seems like it was while I read it. And I hope that he's not worried too much about... People everywhere having conversations about how the story was told, or what the press says, or what the media says, or whatever. I hope he's just getting to bask in the glow of the strength that you feel when you get to tell your own story. And yet, I do realize that, like, I'm sitting here talking about him and how he told the story, just like everyone else is. Like I said, there's an injustice to it. It's not totally fair. And yet, I hope that he's able to just stand in the confidence that he got to share his own story in his own way. I wanna talk for a minute about how we talk about the villains in our stories because this is a question that I get from virtually every author and aspiring author and non-aspiring author person who just wants to write their story that I've ever worked with is this question about how do I talk about people in my story who are the villain in the story? They're the ones who've mistreated me. They're the ones who've betrayed me. They're the ones who abandoned me, who left me, who lied about me, who went behind my back, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like, It's worth noting that the main villain in Harry's story is, of course, the paparazzi and the media. And if I had been advising Harry on this story, which I wasn't, and it's not my story to tell, but if I had been advising him, one of the things that I might have said to him is that in certain places, it feels like maybe this villain takes up too much space in the story. I always say that a memoir is built around the transformation of the hero of the story because that's the person who you want to most be focused on. There are, of course, other players in our story, and some of them are quite villainous. But a few rules of thumb that I like to lean on when you're writing about other people in your story who have hurt you is, number one, you can't possibly know the motives of other people unless they've been directly and explicitly stated to you. All you can know is your own motives. All you can know is your own internal dialogue. All you can know is your own depths of feeling and pain and whatever. And so the more you can focus on those as you're writing a memoir, the more powerful the memoir writing experience is going to be. Now, it doesn't mean that the villains in your story are good people. It doesn't mean that they had good intentions because who knows if they did or didn't. It's just the fact of the matter is you can't possibly know what their intentions were. And so to speculate at their intentions is, I think, a dangerous endeavor and also just a rabbit trail that you don't even need to go down. So when I'm working with authors, what I always encourage them to do is just focus on what happened. As you're telling the story, just focus on what was said, what was done, what happened next, instead of focusing on extrapolating why these people did to you what they did to you. You can, of course, focus on how you felt about it. You can talk about feeling betrayed or feeling lied to or feeling abandoned or left or whatever. All of that is fair game, but... When speaking about the villain in your story, I like to avoid extrapolating or talking about why they did certain things because the fact of the matter is you just don't know. When you avoid extrapolating about why your villain did what they did, you actually make yourself a more credible narrator to the story because intuitively your reader knows that you couldn't possibly know why they did what they did. And so If you can avoid doing that, you make yourself more believable and more credible to the reader. There were actually several places in the manuscript in the book where I felt like Harry did a great job with this or J.R. Mooringer. I don't know which one did it, but several places where I felt like that was done really, really well. It was just, here's what happened. Here's what happened next. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why this person did this. And then there were other areas where it felt like there was an assumption being made about why certain things were done certain ways. And in my mind, for me as the reader, it's not that Harry lost credibility completely, but in those certain places, I was really craving for him to step in as a stronger narrator and to speak from beyond the wound and to speak as the transformed version of him and to use that narrator voice and to propel me as the reader through the story toward the version of Harry that has healed From everything that's happened. The other rule I have when talking about villains in your stories is no name calling. And the reason for this rule is because it's just lazy writing. (laughs) To call someone a bad name, for example, doesn't do nearly as much for the reader as it would do if you could talk about the behavior. If you just paint a scene for the reader and make it jump off the page and talk about, The term that we use in writing is show, don't tell. So don't tell me that he was a jerk. Instead, show me on the page how he was a jerk. And if you can do that, you elevate your writing to a whole new level. You make it much more interesting to read. You maintain the integrity and the character of you as the narrator. And you make the text all around more believable and more readable. And then the final thing that I always say to authors who are trying to figure out how to introduce their villains into the stories is to think about how you want to be thought about or considered as a person. At the end of the day, you have to lay your head on your pillow at night and know that you told the story in a way that had integrity for you. And for every person, that's going to look a little bit different. For me, it meant leaving out certain details that just felt kind of punitive to share. It was like there were details in my story as I shared the story that I knew they would make me feel good to share because there's a sort of, natural human vindictiveness there. It's just like, yeah, I'm going to air your dirty laundry so that you don't get to get off scot-free with this behavior. But when I really zoomed out from the narrative, I realized that some of those details that I had wanted to share weren't actually needed by the reader in order to understand the hero's transformation. So I wanted to be able to lay my head on my pillow at night and know that I hadn't shared details that were not mine to share and that I really focused on the transformation of the hero and shared my story and kept my story my story and didn't let my villain take up too much space inside of the story. And again, there were places in Harry's manuscript where I felt like he did a really, really good job at that. And then there were other places, particularly with the paparazzi, where it did feel like there was a little bit of name calling going on. And it felt like a lot of anger there that has not quite yet been resolved. That's not, again, a judgment on Harry. It's just what I noticed in the manuscript. There's more I could say about this book, but I think I'll stop there for now in part because I think I've said everything that is necessary to say. And if you were sitting here with me and we were having a book club and it could be a dialogue and it wasn't just me talking about my opinion about a book, maybe we would talk for hours. I would have a lot of fun with that. Maybe someday we can do something like that. But for now, I feel like I've covered what really matters. Essentially, the reason for this conversation is I want you to think about as you write your story... What is the narrative arc that I'm trying to create? What is the transformation of the hero of this story that I need to build so that my hero is different at the beginning of the story than he or she is at the end of the story? That's going to give you a lot of clues about where the story starts, where the story finishes. And in many cases with a personal narrative, it gives you clues about how you need to evolve as a person before this story can fully conclude. Because a lot of times when we're writing our stories, we haven't fully resolved them yet. And so that's not a judgment on any person that they haven't resolved every aspect of their life story yet. That would be impossible. It's just that as you write your story, you become more aware of these loops that are unresolved. And it gives you this agency and empowers you to address those loops and to become the higher version of yourself to become the kind of person that you want to be in that particular area so take a little bit of time and think about what that would be for you whatever story that you've selected to be working on during this time together as i unpack the the framework in this first season ask yourself who am i in this story who was i at the beginning of the story and who do i need to be for this story to resolve And as you unpack that question, I think it's going to give you a lot of clarity about where you're headed. And the other thing that I want to leave you with is this idea about writing about the villains. Every single one of us has villains in our stories. We also have guides in our stories. And I haven't gotten to that part yet, but I could go on and on for hours about the guides in Harry's story. And he does a really, really beautiful job of bringing these characters into the story and demonstrating to the reader how they shifted his perspective and how they shifted the narrative for him. But as it relates to the villains in our stories, I want you to think critically about who the villain is in your story, if there's a villain, and how you want to talk about these villains, how you want to tell the story. You only Only you get to decide how you're going to tell the story. Nobody else gets to decide that. You get to decide if you want to name call them, and there's no judgment about that either way. You can absolutely call that person names. And a lot of times in the first draft, there's a lot of that. And then in the second draft, you get a little bit more creative and it helps you to evolve as a person. You can decide if you you want to resolve that loop to your story or not. You have to be the one at the end of the day who lays your head on the pillow and and feels at peace with those choices. So Harry's memoir is a really great opportunity for us to think about this. How do I want to transform as a character in this story? Who do I want to introduce as a villain to the story, if anyone? And how do I want to talk about those people? How do I want to make sure that the villain doesn't overtake my story because this is still my story. My overall take on Spare is that it's absolutely worth the read. J.R. Moringer is a brilliant writer and Harry is a very interesting person with a lot of amazing life experiences. And I think his story deserves a second look, especially if you have been impacted by hearing about him in the media, hearing his story from people who don't deserve to tell his story. I think that it definitely deserves a look and that it would do you well to hear his story told in his own words. So it's worth the 50 bucks or 40 maybe wherever you buy it. And I hope you enjoy reading it as much as I did. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode and I'll see you next week on the Write Your Story podcast.
1: Check the backseat. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's The Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E. is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the
0: forehead. <laughs>